So in your note cards, we're dealing with Isaiah 64, 1 through 4. And at the end of that, there's a verse in Isaiah 64, verse 4 that says, Since ancient times, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has anyone perceived a God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Anna asked that you guys write that down. And so look it up in your phones, look it up in your Bible, and just meditate and listen and write that down. And then when we worship, we're worshiping a God who, since ancient times, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no one has perceived a God like this who acts on behalf of people who wait for him. And so the Advent series that we're entering is all centered around waiting. And Anna asked me to talk about waiting in the sense of time. And so can I have your permission to share something with you that might be just crazy confusing and have you not leave and be like, Rod has no idea what he's talking about. I'm, I'm not sure I want to do this thing anymore. Can I just have your permission to take a little like leap and go a little further with my talking, even if it sounds crazy to you? Thank you. All right. So Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would shake before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you for when you did awesome things that we did not expect you came down and the mountains trembled before you obviously this dude wants god to show up in a big way and he uses the phrase, rend the heavens, which in Hebrew it means, will you rip open the heavens? God, would you put your fingers in and rip open heaven and come down? If you did that, he starts to surmise like, what would happen? Mountains would shake, fires would you know, break out. He, he's starting to surmise and imagine, what would happen if God ripped open heaven and came down. He's trying to explain that. And then at the same time, he's saying, will you do that? So the ask is, God, will you enter into this scene in a way that we have no idea what it looks like? Following me? And so he starts to say, if you come down, the mountains will shake before you. And Isaiah does a lot of this stuff about God. But he arrives at the conclusion since ancient times. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has anyone perceived a God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And so there's this idea of time that when, you, when, when the thing's not happening that you need to happen and, and when you're waiting for God to act on your behalf, he will act on behalf of you in your waiting. And that means you have to wait. And that's the sucky part. And sometimes we talk about God and faith as if we're, we're, we're ending the waiting. We're causing God to act 
and we're causing God to be part of something and intervene in our situation so that we don't have to wait anymore. But Isaiah, in explaining and imagining a God who's going to act in this world in crazy ways that we don't even understand, mountains shaking, is saying God acts when we wait. He acts on behalf when we wait. And that's a difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around when most of what we're asking God to do is to intervene and stop our waiting. But Isaiah is saying, no, God acts on behalf of those who are waiting. And when he acts, weird stuff happens that you might not fully understand. That's not even the weird part, okay? This is the weird part. I have this giant flat plane for you because in 1884, Edwin Abbott wrote a book called Flatland. Has anyone ever heard of this book? Anna has heard of this book because I told her I was going to be a little crazy tonight. No, you heard about it from me. Okay, you heard about it before. In Flatland, Edwin Abbott tells the fictional story of shapes that live in a two-dimensional world. And shapes that live in a two-dimensional world are essentially existing on a flat plane. Three, it, it, two dimensions does, does not involve length, width, and height. It only involves two of those, like length and width. So you take the height out and everything's flat, meaning flat land. And so two-dimensional objects would be essentially like pieces of paper just all over this plane living and only seeing things in two dimensions. And if you, it, it, the way that he explained it was that each of these shapes had eyes on the front of them and they could only see the, the other shapes from that two-dimensional perspective because they were in it. It's not like us looking at a two-dimensional plane from a three-dimensional world and being able to draw and shade. It's just them seeing things. So if a square looked at a triangle, it would just see a line. Does that make sense? But, they, but, but these shapes learned to tell like how close something was by how bright it was. The brighter it was, the closer it was. The bigger it was, or, or if the line was strong and dark in the middle but then got lighter on the sides, maybe you were dealing with a circle or a shape that had a rounded edge. And so these shapes began to exist and live in flatland, and this is what they knew. This is everything that these shapes knew. Are you thoroughly confused, or are some of you geniuses following? I hope some of you are following. In the story Flatland, there was this happy little sphere that came from the third dimension. And it entered into Flatland. And as it entered, the two-dimensional shapes could only see it from their two-dimensional perspective. And so as it passed through, what they saw was a dot. And then they saw two dots. And they were connected. And, and then they saw a little bigger line. 
And, and the line got longer and longer and longer and longer and longer until it was as, as long as it could be. And then it started to shrink again and got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it disappeared. And the shapes were like, what was that? What was that? What was that two-dimensional object that started small and grew big and then shrunk again and, and then disappeared? We, we have no idea of understanding what that is. And then the sphere returned and formed a love relationship with a, with a little flat square. And it took the little flat square on a journey to the third dimension and explained and showed this little two-dimensional square all of these things that it would never be able to understand. Never, ever, ever, ever be able to understand. And when that little square came back and tried to explain to its friends what it had seen, what do you think happened? They crucified. No, I'm just kidding. They couldn't understand because they had a view of their world from two dimensions. And, and a, th a three-dimensional object, like this soccer ball up against this plane, looks very different when you only have this much perspective. So, Edwin Abbott in 1884 wrote that story, and then scientists got a hold of it and started to theorize what would it look like if a fourth-dimensional thing were to show up in our three-dimensional world? And the answer was, we have no idea, but since we're scientists, let's guess and call it theories. And so they started to guess. And all they had was Edwin Abbott's book to go by where a three-dimensional ball would look like a small line and then a bigger line, 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 and then a smaller line, smaller line, smaller line, until it disappeared if it passed through. So scientists decided if a, if a fourth dimensional object or an object from outside of the third dimension of greater dimension were to come into our universe and we were to see it, and they could only go with like, what if it was a sphere? Because that's what Edwin Abbott used. They said it would probably look like a tiny dot and then it would get a little bigger and be a tiny ball. And then it would get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it was a big ball. And then it would shrink back down and become a smaller ball until it was a tiny dot and then it would disappear. And we would have no idea where it came from or where it was going. And Jesus shows up and talks about the Holy Spirit. No one knows where I come from or where I'm going. And Isaiah talks about if God were to stick his fingers into the earth and rip it open, what would happen? If one of us were to stick our hand into a two-dimensional world, imagine what would be seen. Like dot, 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 dot. Whoa, what's that? Line, 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 line in and out, disappears, and someone would be like, I think that was a bunch of lines from space. And then someone would be like, I think it was the hand of Rod Tucker. And we don't know, you know? It, it would just be all of these guessings and all of these surmising and imagining. 
And so what happens is we find ourselves in these places where we want God to intervene in our lives, in our friends' lives, in the world's life of people we don't even know. And we ask the same question as Isaiah. Would you rip open the heavens and come down? Would you show up? Would you, would you do this? Would you solve this? Would you heal this? Would you bring peace to this? And we set up entire systems and structures about participating in what we think God should do. That's what we did at Edison Chapel. We want to be part of empowering and bringing peace to this neighborhood. So we set up a church and we do stuff because we think this is how God would do stuff. And we're trying our best from, might I say, our two-dimensional perspective. And yet Isaiah challenges us to think and dream What would it look like if God were to rip open and show up? Maybe the mountains would shake. And he ends it with this wondering. Since ancient times, no eye has ever seen this God. No no ear has ever heard of a God like this. No one has ever been able to perceive this unique God who seems to show up when people are waiting. That's a hopeful message for you because you're waiting for something. You're sitting there and you're waiting for relational reconciliation. You're waiting for peace. You're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for some type of healing from somebody who took a sledgehammer to your heart and didn't even care that they did it. And I am too. And most of the time, we're, we're engaging in our faith journey with how do we get God to help us and end this waiting And Isaiah says, no, there's, there's, there's never, that's what people have been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. This God is different since ancient times. No eye has seen a God like this or heard a God like this or perceived a God like this, who, who actually acts on behalf of those who are waiting. And so if you want to know if God is acting on behalf of you right now, the only question you need to ask is, am I waiting for something? Do I have that tension in me? Am I hopeful that something will change? Then you'll know, oh, that, that's the God that was prophesied thousands of years ago who came in the form of Jesus, and acts on behalf of us. The tricky part of that is everything we've been taught is to pray for our waiting to end instead of join with the prophet and say, If you were to show up, God, 
if, if you were to show up in my world where I can't fully understand you, where I only maybe see you in lines, if you were to actually show up, I wouldn't understand what you're doing. I wouldn't be able to even explain it. And God forbid I try to explain it and get rich off it. But if you were to show up, I wouldn't be able to fully understand. But I could know that you are a God who acts on behalf of those who are waiting. And if you're acting on my behalf, even though I don't fully understand because all I see is lines, I can still trust that this waiting means you are with me. And if you're with me, then my problems are your problems too. If you're with me, if you're Emmanuel, then what I'm going through, you're going through too. This concept has been taken so far, and I've shared this many times, that the great Lila Watson, the aboriginal activist nun from Australia said, if you've come to help me, you're wasting your time, but but if you've come to be with me, if you've come because your freedom is tied up with my freedom, then let us walk together. And that is what God does, friends. He enters into our dimension, even though we don't have eyes to fully understand or ears to fully hear, or a mind that can fully perceive who God is, and then God is with us, and in our waiting, he acts on our behalf, because that is who God is, and that is what God does, and that is why we're in an Advent series titled Waiting, because God's name is Emmanuel. I am with you, and you don't have to do a thing. I'm taking care of it all. I'm taking care of it all. And it's okay that all you see is lines. Since ancient times, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived a God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Jesus, thank you for my friends. Thank you that you're acting in this neighborhood. Thank you that you're acting throughout our week. Thank you that we can decompress on Thursday night at chapel and feel your presence that has been with us the whole time. And as a friend, I I pray for us who are here that you will reveal yourself to us in a greater way right now as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.